Good morning. Uh, it's great to be here with you and to join together in worshipping our great God. We're going to continue working our way through uh, the book of Exodus this morning. Oh, it has been uh, some time since we uh, have been here, uh, early November I think it was. Uh, but we pick up the narrative this morning at the climax of the plague drama. Uh, Egypt was in complete ruin. The nine plagues unleashed thus far had wreaked utter havoc. The economy had been annihilated with the agricultural industry destroyed. Their religious system torn to pieces as their gods are revealed to be the fakes and the frauds that they are. The greats had been the lost, greats had been the suffering. And yet what they had endured thus far was nothing compared to the unleashing of the tenth and deadliest plague. This final plague, the one greater than all others, formed the inaugural Passover. It unleashed cataclysmic judgment upon Egypt, causing utter devastation and destruction. But it also also caused the release of Egypt from bondage. Finally setting them free. And this is what we are going to consider this morning. Could you please open your Bible to Exodus chapter 12? Exodus chapter 12, and we're going to read from verse 29 down to verse 32. Hear the word of the Lord. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne, unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night, and said, Rise up, and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go, serve the Lord, as ye have said. Also take your flocks and your herds, as ye have said, and be gone, and bless me also. Amen. The title for the sermon this morning is Saved by the Blood. Let's pray. Our Father, what a great privilege it is to gather here this morning in your name. Now we come humbly before you now, desiring to be fed from your word. It is our great need to hear from you. And Father, please work in our hearts and lives by your spirit through your word this morning as we consider uh, this most glorious account. Uh, please remove all, all distractions and hindrances and grant to us uh, the understanding uh, that we need. Father, help us to see the glory of our Saviour and of our salvation this morning. For we ask it in Jesus' name, for His sake. Amen. It was the dead of the night, pitch black, strictly silent. Most people all over Egypt had settled in for the night. Fast asleep, thoughtless of any danger, but this night was like none other. For a visitor came in the middle of it, and he came on a deadly divine mission. Egypt was struck with horrendous horror and terror like never before experienced. The angel of the Lord, known as the Destroyer, made his way throughout the whole empire, calling on every dwelling in Pharaoh's kingdom. 
Or the angel was looking for something, for every door was inspected. In the land of Goshen, where Israel lived, he found what he was looking for. For the doors had been marked by the blood, and hence these houses were passed over. The deadly blow was held back. The firstborn was spared from these homes, for they were protected. They were shielded by the blood of the lamb, that innocent sacrifice. But all the homes who were not shielded by the blood, who were not marked with this sign of salvation, were visited by the divine destroyer who slipped inside and claimed the life of the firstborn. Oh, as the destroyer made his way up and down the Nile, whole cities and towns had failed to offer a lamb for their sin. And hence were left unprotected, which resulted in loss of life. Thus the night that began in silence ended in suffering, with great loss of life like never before experienced. Imagine the widespread devastation that would have swept through Egypt. The middle of the night, and not one home remained unaffected. The rich and the poor, the leaders and the laity, all had been struck by this angel. Picture the striking and stinging fear that must have pierced like a sword. The overwhelming sense of loss that must have pierced like an arrow as parents hold their lifeless children. Oh, isn't this the greatest fear of parents to find their child unresponsive? And it was this that Egypt encountered, from the palace to the prison and everyone in between. Can you hear the screams and wailing that must have rang through Egypt as the widespread nature of the destruction was discovered? Can you see the tears that must have been flowing down the mother's cheek? Can you feel the utter hopelessness? Can you sense the devastation? My friend, what an horrific scene. Thousands struck dead. Egypt experiencing suffering like they never had before and never will again. As this proud empire lay in complete and utter ruin, devastated by the destroyer that had passed through the land, taking the life of the firstborn of both man and beast. How the angel did this, we are not told. But perhaps it was instant, or or maybe one was struck down with an illness that killed in, in seconds or minutes, just enough time to notify everyone in the household, we cannot be certain. What we do know from the text is that the household knew that the angel had visited. For they didn't wake in the morning to find this, but rather they knew instantly, in the deep dark hours, what had happened. Now, perhaps the Lord had made them aware with some sort of sixth sense, or maybe many never slept that night. Remember, nine plagues had already occurred exactly how they were predicted. So why would this one be any different? So perhaps many couldn't sleep that night. And as their worst fears become a reality, the wailing and the mourning would soon wake any soul that somehow managed to sleep. You know, what a great tragedy. And many rivers must have been cried that fateful night. Many hearts ripped out and smashed. Regrets must have pierced countless individuals wishing they had listened to Moses' instructions. Many must have burned with rage towards their ruler. When many must have hoped that this was just some sort of bad dream. And that they would wake up soon, but to no avail. 
And this is the devastating reality. Judgment had fallen on Egypt. In our time together, I'd like to take a few moments to consider this deadly drama and examine how Egypt's judgment pitches the judgment of all mankind to come. And I want to undertake this under two simple headings. The first of which is the promise of judgment. This final brutal judgment executed by the Lord that swung through Egypt like a wrecking ball should should not have caught the Egyptians by surprise. They ought not to have been shocked for there had been warnings. This unleashing of judgment was not a rash decision made by the Lord in the spur of the moments. This was not some last resort, desperate attempt to free his people because all of his other attempts had failed, but rather this was planned. And a warning had been issued. Please notice the first phrase of verse 29. It says, and it came to pass. In other words, it happened just as they were told it would. Now this final plague was predicted right down to the smallest detail in Exodus 12.12. It conforms to the original overview of how the plagues would conclude as revealed to Moses way back in the fourth chapter of Exodus. And it's consistent with the warning that Moses had given to Pharaoh in Exodus 11. Now verse 5 says, And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. Now the Pharaoh had been warned about this final and deadliest plague. He was not in the dark about this cataclysmic judgment that tore Egypt apart. Now this night that was filled with terror like no other night before it or after it was not a surprise for a warning had been issued. And in light of the previous nine plagues coming to pass, the evidence was pretty convincing that this final plague would also become a reality and yet the evidence was ignored. This hard-hearted and stubborn man refused to hearken to the warning of the coming judgments. He ignored the warning signs of the trouble ahead. He disregarded the road sign that revealed the potential life-threatening torrent that covered the road ahead and drove straight into it. The alarm bells were ringing. The warning lights went off. Whatever metaphor you want to use, and yet the Pharaoh ignored them all. And God had promised what would happen. That judgment would fall, for Egypt had refused to give God his firstborn. So Egypt's firstborn would also be taken. And yet Pharaoh refused to believe it. He rejected the opportunity to release Israel and spare himself and his people from this most deadly judgment. Now this man was too proud, he was too arrogant. To heed the warning. He was too hard-hearted to believe that God would do what he said he would do. And hence he learnt the hard way that God keeps his promises. And now Pharaoh's life and his kingdom is in absolute chaos. 
Anarchy has struck. Horror has swept through like a river bursting its banks. Fear and pain were deeply embedded like the cattle brand. Loss was experienced like never before. The promised judgment had certainly fallen. And it wasn't until after the judgment, when it was all too late, that the Pharaoh finally responded. Now, if you remember from previous sermons, the Pharaoh had utterly refused to allow the Israelites to leave. There was a few brief moments where there seemed to be a glimmer of hope, but to no avail. And yet now this all changes. I notice in the text, he doesn't wait until the next morning, but rather he calls for Moses and Aaron instantly in the middle of the night. And what a scary job it must have been for that messenger who had to go and fetch these two men. You know, the path of destruction that had cut through Egypt prompted immediate action. And now, now he agrees to release Israel. But it's more than just agreeing. Now he commands them to get going. You know, what a change. Israel, arise and leave. Get out. Take whatever you want. Get out of here. Men, women, children, beasts, go. It is as though he views these people as a curse and he wants them removed. You know, this man had certainly changed his thinking. His hard, hard and proud spirit was now broken. In fact, it had been smashed into a million pieces For he had lost the one most precious to him, his firstborn, the heir to the throne, deity in waiting according to Egyptian thinking, and he was gone. But Pharaoh's change of mind and heart was too little too late. A judgment had already fallen and it could not be reversed. If only he had have hearkened to the previous warnings about this devastating destruction, it could have been avoided. And yet he failed to heed the warning. And my friend, just as a warning was given that judgment was coming Egypt's way, the Bible too warns of a future judgment. A day is coming when all mankind will be judged. Hebrews 9.27 says, And it's appointed unto man once to die. But after this, the judgment. Death is a reality that we all must come to grips with, for we will all face it. And we must understand that once experienced, that is not the end of everything, but rather it's really the beginning. Life does not cease at the grave, for our spirits are eternal. And my friend, once dead, we face a judgment, so that there are no second chances beyond the grave. We face an eternal reckoning. The Bible makes it crystal clear that judgment will fall upon sinners. Romans 6.23 informs us that the wage or the payment for sin is death. And this payment must be paid. Now, this concept of death includes physical death. We die because of sin. Our bodies are subject to decay because of sin. But but it's more than that. This includes a spiritual aspect. The wage for sin is separation from God. And this is an eternal separation. The Bible warns us that once we depart this life, men will be destined to one of two destinations. Heaven with God or hell without God. 
No, hell was originally created for Satan and the wicked angels. It was never designed for men. But that is the destination for fallen mankind due to willingly choosing to rebel and actively oppose God. And this describes all of us in our natural state. Depraved, wicked and sinful. And the judgment or punishment for such individuals is eternity in hell. That's the warning issued throughout Scripture. The lake of fire will be the eternal destiny for all who reject Jesus Christ and His work on the cross. Because, my friend, we have all sinned. We are sinners by nature. We are born in sin. And we sin by choice. And as natural men, we love it. And we must understand that God will judge because my friend he is holy he is righteous he cannot tolerate he cannot accept sin because this is contrary to who he is he utterly despises sin and wickedness and he will judge it and my friend we all have a hearing in the heavenly courts but the question is will you take heed to the warning of judgment or will you like pharaoh be hard-hearted stubborn and ignore the warning of impending judgment. Now, Pharaoh illustrates the destructiveness and folly of resisting God and ignoring his warnings. It simply leads to ruin. It's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. You know, take heed. You know, take heed to this warning. You know, but God is not only holy, righteous, and just, which demands he must punish sin. But he's also good, loving, kind and gracious. And he doesn't just warn us about future judgment, which in of itself is an act of grace. It's kind and benevolent to inform us about the horrific horrors of hell. But he also provides a way to be saved. And this leads to the second point, protection from judgment. Now, as this devastating judgment was unleashed, causing unfathomable pain and destruction, the question must be asked, who was spared and on what ground were they spared? So it's clear from verse 29 that this judgment cut a path of destruction from the palace to the prison. Now, all classes of people were affected. In fact, verse 30 says that not one house in Egypt was there without one dead. So this was widespread. It affected every Egyptian. And yet in Exodus 11.7, in the Passover preview, it's declared that no harm will be done to Israel. They will be spared. No life will be lost. There is a clear and unmissable distinction between Egypt and Israel. And the question is, on what grounds was this distinction made? What qualified one to be spared from this devastating destruction? Now please look at Exodus 12:13, which says, "And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt." It was the blood applied. That was the distinguishing difference. The destroyer's devastating mission was blind to ethnic 
distinction. So he did not kill or save based on one's nationality. Bloodline and heritage was not the distinction. Israel were not spared for simply being Israeli, but rather they were spared because of the blood. It was on the basis of the blood and that basis alone that the angel made the distinction. If an Israelite family had not painted the lamb's blood on the door lintel, then the destroyer would have taken the life of the firstborn within that house also. As the angel of the Lord moved over Egypt, all the homes that were not marked with the sign of salvation were struck. This was the distinguishing feature. And this is the only way that one could be spared from the judgments. Salvation can only be found in the means that God has offered. There was no way to save the firstborn outside of God's provision. It didn't matter who you were or what you had done or achieved. No merit, no other means or methods were accepted outside of what God demanded. And that was the applied blood of the sacrificed lamb. It was the blood that shielded the Israelites from divine judgments. One could not have escaped without taking shelter behind the blood of the sacrifice. It was only as as the blood was seen that the angel would pass over. God in His grace and loving kindness provided a way to be protected from judgment. And beloved, He too has provided a way, only one way, For you and for me to be protected from that judgment that we all deserve as individual sinners. And just like the Passover, our shield, our protector is also the blood. Not the blood of a lamb, but the blood of the lamb. The events of that first Passover will never occur again. But the distinction that God made that night is still one that stands. One cannot escape the wrath of God. One cannot be saved from eternal judgment without taking shelter behind the blood of Christ. Without appropriating the blood of the Lamb that was slain in our place. And you know, the question is, how can one shelter behind the blood of Christ? How can the blood of Jesus be applied to my heart? How can I experience salvation from the judgment that I am warned about so clearly in Scripture? And the answer is faith. No, faith in the person and finished work of Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus went all the way to the cross of Calvary for you. He took our sin upon himself. Every sin that we have committed was bore in the body of Christ and he paid that price. He paid the price that was due. He took the punishment that we rightly deserve. He bore God's wrath in our place. The perfect Passover lamb shed his blood so that you and I may have forgiveness. But to experience forgiveness and cleansing from every sin we have ever committed, no matter how monstrous they may be, to be spared from the judgment we rightly deserve, that one must repent of their sin. Have a change of mind and purpose about your sin. Admit the hideousness of your actions and character. Acknowledge your brokenness. Admit that your sin is an affront and an offense before God. 
It's not just a matter of, you know, oh, I've done a few bad things here or there. My friend, you have committed cosmic treason against the Creator of the universe. You have rebelled against Him. And hence you must acknowledge that and turn to Him. Stop rebelling, stop running away, but turn and run to God. And place your faith and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Place your full confidence in His finished work on the cross. Believe that Jesus died and rose again for you, paying the price for your sin. This is how one is saved. And this is the only way to experience salvation. No one cannot find salvation outside of the means that God has offered. No, on that first Passover, one would only be saved if the blood was applied. There wasn't an option A, B, or C. And my friend, this is the same for you. The one is saved by the blood of Jesus. You know, has the blood of Jesus been applied to the door lintels of your heart? You know, is He your Savior? For a day is coming when every human being who has ever lived will stand before the judgment seat of God. A day of reckoning is fast approaching. You know, we will all be there. High and low, rich and poor, the sinner and the saints. From the prison to the palace, no one will escape. No one will be granted exemption. And God is no respecter of persons. He he will judge everyone by the exact same standard. It doesn't matter to God what race we are, what, what education level we achieved, how much money we have, how many good things we did. And what matters to God is whether or not we have faith in the sacrifice of His Son. Those who trust in the blood of Jesus will receive eternal life. And those who do not hold on to Jesus and the cross will be damned to conscious torment in hell. There is a great day of judgment coming. And the great divide between heaven and hell, between salvation and damnation, is the blood of Jesus. And the question is, what side will you be on? Has the blood of Jesus been applied to you? You know, don't be like Pharaoh and ignore the warning. You know, respond now. Come humbly to the cross this morning you know, before it's too late. You know, but for those of us here who have been saved by the blood, what wonderful news that is. And we, we have nothing to fear but everything to gain. This future judgment is not something to be worried about, for Jesus has taken care of it all. We are protected by His blood. We have been declared not guilty in the heavenly courtroom. And my friend, that is an eternal verdict that can never be changed. There is no condemnation for those of us in Christ, not even a little bit. We have been spared from hell and are secure in heaven. No, we are now saved and this is our eternal disposition. No one or nothing can take that away. We are united to Jesus and are the recipients of innumerable blessings both now and forever. And may we experience and enjoy all that is ours in Jesus. And may we be enthralled and enriched by the beauty of our salvation and the beauty of our Saviour and all that we possess, all that we are because of the blood of Jesus. We deserve none of this, none at all. And yet we are the beneficiaries of countless blessings. We are saved, Jesus is ours, our eternal destiny is secure. There is nothing left to pay for Jesus took care of it all. You know, praise God that we are saved by the blood of the crucified one. 
that we have been ransomed from sin and a new work has begun. And may we this morning give praise to the Father and praise to the Son, for we have been saved by the blood of the crucified one. Amen.